Once again I face Satan this morning, and I battled him all the day long. But in my weakness, God sends reinforcements, and at sundown I'll sing victory song, and the sun's coming up. In the morning, every tear will be gone from my eyes. This old clay's gonna give way to glory, and like an eagle, I'll take to the sky. In a world filled with doubts and confusion, it's so hard when you don't understand but i'm standing on a solid foundation and i hold to an unchanging hand and the sun's coming up in the morning every tear will be gone Clay's gonna give way to glory, and like an eagle, I'll take to the sky. And the sun's coming up in the morning, every tear will be gone from my eyes. This old clay's gonna give way to glory and like an eagle I'll take to the sky all right praise the Lord well that's good that was good I just if uh, the, the young lady was a little loud it's because her dad's the sound man you know, you just can't, you know, parents, you know how they are, you know. <laughs> I'm, te I'm teasing. I was just, whatever. Okay, so anyway, we're glad you're here today. I, I did, I did. I, I, I really shouldn't, but I'm going to um, share. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I'm going to. Just for that, I'm going to share twice as many. No. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, just, okay. When I was in the Army, I, I managed to lose my rifle. I had to pay $1,855 to cover the loss. I'm starting to understand why Navy captains always go down with a ship. Okay. A wife, she complains to her husband. She was like, just look at that couple down the road. How lovely they are. He keeps holding her hand, kissing her, holding the door for her. Why can't you do that? Why can't you do the same? Are you crazy? I barely know that woman. <laughs> the doctor says, the, the patient says, oh, doctor, I'm just so nervous. This is my first operation. Don't worry, mine too. <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell you this one. I don't have it marked because some of you will get offended. Okay? 
But then some of you might not remember. Okay, I'm just going to do it, okay? I mean, this is not a politically correct pulpit. Doctor says to his patients, you have cancer and Alzheimer's. Well, at least I don't have cancer. Okay. Johnny, he asks his father, he says, hey, where does the wind come from, Dad? I, yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't know, son. Well, okay, Dad, well, why do dogs bark? I, 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 I don't know. Okay, why is the earth round? I'm sorry, I, I, I don't know. Dad, does it bother you that I, that, that I ask so many questions? No, son. Please ask, otherwise you're never going to learn a thing. So the secretary runs in and says, Doctor, the invisible man has come. He has an, he has an appointment. <clears throat> Tell him I can't see him. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to end with that one. Okay, so anyway, here we go. Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah chapter 32 today, beginning verse 26. This message didn't quite go the direction I thought it would, but it's, uh, I think there'll be a couple decent thoughts. I think something we can learn today from the Word of God. The uh, situation, the circumstance that Jeremiah finds himself in is very unique. It's, uh, and yet, on the other hand, it's quite normal, and it does happen to you and I in a sense. Not the specifics, but the principle or the rule. Look at uh, Jeremiah 32, beginning in verse 26. We'll go ahead and read beginning there. <clears throat> we're going to read uh, through the chapter, okay? So I'm going to move quickly, so follow fast. Here it is. Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he, will, he shall take it. And the Chaldeans that fight against this city shall come and set fire on this city and burn it with the houses upon whose roofs they have offered incense unto Baal and poured out drink offerings unto the other gods to provoke me to anger. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have only done evil before me from their youth. For the children of Israel have only provoked me to anger with the work of their hands, with, uh, saith the Lord. For this city hath been to, to me as a provocation of mine anger and of my fury from the day that they built it, even unto this day, that I should remove it from before my face. Because of all the evil of the children of Israel and of the children of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger, they, their kings, their princes, their priests, and their prophets, and the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they have turned unto me the back and not the face. Though I taught them, rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not hearkened to receive instruction." But they set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name, to defile it. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire unto Molech, which I commanded them not. Neither came it unto my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. And now, therefore, thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city, whereof ye say, it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries 
whether I have driven them in mine anger and in my fury and in great wrath, and I will bring them again unto this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. They shall be my people, and I will be their God, and I will give them one heart and one way, and they may, that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts, and they shall not depart from me. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. For thus saith the Lord likewise, as I have brought all this great evil upon this people, so will I bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. And the fields shall be bought in this land, whereof ye say, it, sh- it is desolate without man or beast. It is given unto the hand of the Chaldeans. Men shall buy fields for money and subscribe evidences and seal them and take witnesses in the land of Benjamin and in the places about Jerusalem and in the cities of Judah and in the cities of the mountains and in the cities of the valley and in the cities of the south. For I will cause their captivity to return, saith the Lord. Let's go ahead and uh, have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you for all you do for us. I ask, dear God, that you would speak to hearts today, that, Father, you would do a work in our lives. We desperately need you. We, Father, are a needy people today. And, Lord, we come to you asking for your unction and your power in our lives. Father, without you, we can do nothing. And so, Lord, we pray that, Father, once again, you would just work in our hearts, that, Father, you would walk these aisles and do a a ministry to us. Father, against thee, Father, and we have sinned often. But Lord, we ask that, Father, you would point out those sins that we can confess, forsake, and ultimately bring glory and honor to you as you would intend us to. Thank you again for just the wonderful promises and the precious truths in the word of God. And we ask, dear God, that you would just, uh, again, do a work that only you can. Now, we need you today. We're praying for your unction and your power. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, and Lord, may you be glorified in everything that's said and done. We will thank you. We'll praise you for it. And Father, we will give to you the glory and the honor for all things. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The book of Jeremiah, of course, is an amazing book, and he is a prophet of prophets. Zedekiah was king in Jerusalem. And in one year, 586 B.C., the Chaldeans would conquer the land and place Judah into captivity. God had Jeremiah prophesy the attack and the takeover that would take place as a result. And as a result of him sharing that truth and telling the leadership, he was cast into prison. He wasn't a very popular figure. He wasn't preaching a very positive message. Rather, it was a very negative message about judgment. In Jeremiah 38, 17, the Bible says, Then said Jeremiah unto Zedekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, If thou wilt assuredly go forth unto the king of Babylon's princes, then thy soul shall live, and this city shall not be burned with fire, and thou shalt live, and thine house. But if thou wilt not go forth to the king of Babylon's princes, then shall this city be given unto the hand of the Chaldeans, and they shall burn it with fire, and thou shalt not escape out of their hand. I mean, this message was not a positive message. 
This message said, you surrender yourselves to the opposing force. You yield yourself to their requests. You do what they tell you. If you do that, then you will be saved. If not, you and your city will be destroyed. It's easy to understand how the king and the leaders of Judah would struggle with that message. I mean, I can only imagine being a leader over a nation and a man or a prophet is telling you or a preacher is telling you to go ahead and surrender to the enemy. That's not going to go well, at least, or at least it wouldn't seem. I mean, they would cease to hold power. They would lose their family fortunes. Their children would be denied the right to rule and their lives of comfort and luxury would be lost. But as uncomfortable as that message was, it was still God's message. And it would do no good to deny it. You could say all day, well, it's just not going to happen. We're not going to let that happen. But if God said it's going to happen, you mark it down. It's going to. So the Chaldeans are, they're setting outside the city. They're preparing to invade. While Jeremiah finds himself bound in the court of the prison. Outside of a supernatural intervention, outside of God, simply like Red Sea type story, just parting the sea, if you will, doing something supernatural, as he is quite capable of doing, mind you. The fact is nothing is going to change. There's no way they're going to thwart the attack. There's no way they're going to avoid a takeover, except God do something miraculous. In the meantime, landowners and real estate developers were very anxious to unload their land, to get rid of their portfolios in light of the takeover. In the midst of all of that, Jeremiah is being told to buy land. God goes on to tell Jeremiah that his cousin Hanamiel was coming with an offer to sell property to their hometown of Anathoth. If Hananiel had just showed up one day and went on into the prison and said, by the way, Jeremiah, want to sell you a piece of property over there in Anathoth. You know, uh, you're capable of buying it and because you're part of the family, it'll stay in the family, but I want to sell you the property. Jeremiah would have been like, you're out of your mind. You say, why would he have said that? Well, at the present, remember, the field was in the hands of the Babylonians. Anathoth was already occupied by these uh, invaders. Jeremiah was presently in prison. And the future of the nation was bleak, to say the least. Three strikes and you're out, right? You're out of your mind. I would never buy that property, but that wasn't the case with God. The situation was bleak, no doubt. A certain takeover... It was going to happen. Still, Jeremiah had a choice to make. Would he obey God and purchase the land that for 70 years, mind you, would be occupied and ruled by the Chaldeans? Would he obey God or wouldn't he obey God? But wait, think about it. 70 years? Wait, how old is Jeremiah now? I mean, Jeremiah could buy the field, and the truth is is that he's probably not going to possibly live another 70 years. But that is what faith is all about. 
obeying God in spite of what we see or how we feel or what, we, or what may happen. See, it's, it's well been said that faith is not believing in spite of evidence, but obeying in spite of consequence. And Jeremiah's actions were illustrating this very, 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 very much. Can I just say that God expects us to obey no matter the circumstances or the consequences? It doesn't matter. We don't have the luxury of choosing when to obey God. When obeying God's promises, immediate success, when, when, when we're obeying God and we can be guaranteed immediate success or immediate benefit, well, that's easy to obey God, right? That makes sense. I mean, every couple that, that uh, enters into marriage says, oh, God's in it, and they're more than happy to follow God at that point. Oh, it's wonderful. God's in it. And boy, it's easy to obey God. Oh, marry him. Oh, I'm marrying you. Oh, yeah. Well, and 5, 10, 15, 20 years later, let's see if you stick to your guns. Oh, it's easy to obey when success or benefit are on the horizon or the immediate. But when the outlook is bleak and it doesn't seem to hold any hope of return in our lifetime, obedience can be extremely difficult. I mean, when you can't see the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, it's hard to obey God sometimes. Not only do, does God expect us to obey no matter the circumstance or consequences, God expects obedience, but he understands questions. Jeremiah would go on to ask some questions along the way. I mean, they're preparing, this enemy is going to take over. God has made it clear. They're coming and they're going to destroy. And then, then he also, is, at one point, we'll talk about this a little more, he's going to once again restore them. But for the meantime, it doesn't look good at all. It's very bleak, if you will. Jeremiah is like, wait a second, you want me to buy a piece of property. You want me to invest my finances into a piece of property that's going to be occupied by the Chaldeans and why? Good question, right? Oh, God expects obedience, but he understands questions. Jeremiah is obedient. He has proved himself to be obedient through the years, but now we find him asking questions. Why, God? Why? What is the purpose? What's taking place? Why do you want me to do this? We're being invaded, our land overtaken, our future's grim. He struggles to understand the order to buy this land in light of the present situation. Have you ever been there with God? Where you know God's telling you to do something, or you can read it right in Scripture, or you've been given some insight as you read through your, your daily devotion, and you know God wants you to go a certain direction, but you're, looking, you're thinking, this is crazy. In light of the circumstances, in, in light of what's taking place in my life, God, what's going on? Why would you want me to do that now? It makes no sense to me. Do you know that God's not upset when you ask those questions? God wants us to come to him in times of confusion or misunderstanding in order to get the answers we seek. 
Now, there are times God chooses not to give us all the answers at that moment, but he is not upset that we ask the questions. In James chapter 1, verse 5, James tells us, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. God wants us to understand things. He wants us to have wisdom. He wants us to be able to apply truth in a very productive, positive way. Jeremiah wasn't questioning God with an attitude of contempt, but curiosity. There's a big difference. He genuinely couldn't understand the request. It wasn't a matter of whether he would ultimately obey God, depending on what God's response was. No, he was going to obey God either way, but he was confused and he sought understanding. See, most of the time when we go to God with questions, we go to God expecting him to give us the answer. And if the answer doesn't suit us, then we feel we have a right to disobey. Oh God, I don't understand it. What's going on? Why'd you let that happen in my life? I'm waiting. I better approve of it or I'll be angry. That's not how Jeremiah is asking the question. And can I tell you, God's not upset with you and I asking the questions. He's not upset with us trying to appease our curiosity, but he does not want us to come to him with ultimatums. Jeremiah's heart is already submitted and subjected to God. Jeremiah is genuinely seeking to understand the command of Scripture. Why are you asking me to do this? It makes no sense, God. Can you fill me in? Can you give me a little bit here? And in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 15, a little prior to our reading, we're going to learn a little bit about this. God first says to him, Behold, I am the Lord. This isn't the passage. Go Turn there to Jeremiah 32 if you would, please, though. He says, Behold, I am the Lord. I jumped ahead in my notes. The God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? God says to him. That's how he responds to his question. Is there anything too hard for me? I'm the Lord God, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me, Jeremiah? Why do you want me to buy this land? The Chaldeans are coming and they're going to occupy our land. They're going to destroy our cities. They're going to wreck and ruin our whole nation. You want me to buy a piece of property? Is there anything too hard for me? Will you give me the benefit of the, the doubt, Jeremiah? Will you just trust me? So he begins to remind Jeremiah that there's nothing too hard for him. And then he goes on to inform Jeremiah that one day houses, fields, and vineyards will be possessed by the people of God. There's Jeremiah thirty-two fifteen now. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. He'd already told him, he said, listen, there's coming a day. These Chaldeans are coming and they are going to occupy and destroy you. If you don't submit to them, if your leadership does not surrender to them, then it's going to be over. But rest assured that it doesn't end there. As grim as it may appear and as bad as it may look, 
Jeremiah, I want you to know that there's a day coming when houses will be built again and land will be purchased and things will get back. It'll be all right down the road. But it's going to be rough sailing for a while because of the rebellion and disobedience of my people. God would later describe how he would go about this seemingly impossible task of restoring Israel again. Because, see, they're in a bad predicament. They had sinned against God. They had offered up their children to idols, the Bible says. They had gone so far as to bow down and literally worship, allowing their children to be sacrificed. And God said, enough's enough. Punishment must take place. But the degree of punishment is determined based upon your pride, your arrogance, or your submission. If you will yield to me and do what I tell you by giving yourselves to the Chaldeans, by saying, have your way with us and we will obey you, then you will avoid a lot of hurt and heartache and the punishment won't be so harsh. But if you don't, it's going to be bad. But no matter how bad it gets, Jeremiah, on the other side... I'm going to restore Israel. I will not forget my people. Jeremiah 32, verse 36. Look there, please. We saw it already. We looked, read it just a little bit ago. And now therefore, thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city, whereof ye say, look at verse 36, it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword, and by the famine, and by the pestilence. That don't sound very appealing, does it? Behold, I will gather them out of all countries, whither I have driven them in mine anger, and in my fury, and in great wrath, and I will bring them again unto this, this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. He said, yeah, that's right. They're going to endure some extreme hardship, but I'm going to regather them back again. I'm going to bring them back and verse 38, and they shall be my people and I will be their God and I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. God is delivering the city over to the Chaldeans. And in his own time, he's going to deliver the city from the Chaldeans. And that's what he's saying to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 41 says, Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. For thus saith the Lord, Like as I have brought all this great evil upon this people, so will I bring upon them all the good that I have promised them. And fields shall be bought in this land whereof ye say, It is desolate without man or beast. It is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. He said it looks going to look hopeless. But I, I want you to understand it's not going to be hopeless. He says, I am delivering Judah into judgment, under judgment. You know, that's not the God we talk about much, is it? You know, today, young people, look at me for a second. Look, you know, today, you're not being taught 
the way you ought to be taught when it comes to consequences. Okay, listen, most of you are not required to obey completely without question. You're not taught that anymore. Matter of fact, you're taught, maybe even by your families and by leadership, to question all, all commands to make sure that it's in your best interest and someone's not taking advantage of you. But that's not how God operates. God says, you obey me. And if you don't do what I tell you, there are consequences for your actions. And you will pay the price for not obeying me. We talk about the fact that we are sinners way back in the garden because of the sin of Adam. And every man, boy, woman, and girl are born into sin and will live in sin and die in their sin. If we don't address that sin, there are consequences to pay. The Bible says there is condemnation. The Bible says that there is already a death sentence on us. We will be separated from God forever in a place called the lake of fire. We will endure the second death, according to Revelation 20, verse 15, 14. Can I tell you today that there will be no excuses that he will accept that day. There'll be no way you'll talk your way out of that consequence. You will pay the price, and so will I, if we fail to obey God and do what he says one day. It's going to come crashing down on us. God demands obedience. And we don't talk about obedience and consequences the way we used to. It's a sad society we live in. When people can loot and steal and not be afraid of consequences. It's a sad affair in our world today. When young people and children can disobey parents and parents are just feel helpless to do anything about it. There are not bad children. There are bad parents. Thank you, preacher. We love you for that one. That one hit us right in the gut, took the wind out of us, but boy, did we need it. We might as well know where the responsibility lies for all these children that are going haywire. That's the government. They won't let us punish our kids. Don't blame anybody. You've got God's commands. You've got God's authority. Don't you blame the government. Don't you blame some school system. Don't you blame somebody else for the reason your children won't obey you. God's given you a rule book. He's given you a playbook. And if you'll follow it, it'll make a difference in your life, in your home, your family, and in your children's lives. For the time being, he says, God is going to deliver them into ju unto judgment. In the future, though, he's going to deliver them in mercy. He said, that's my promise. I'll deliver you unto judgment now, but I'm going to deliver you in mercy later. And that promise was partially fulfilled in 536 B.C. when Nehemiah led a group of Jews back to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the walls and restore the temple worship. But the complete fulfillment of that prophecy will finally be fulfilled in its entirety in the day when Christ himself returns to this earth and establishes Israel at his coming. So Jeremiah is told to purchase land prior to the invasion. Why? In order to testify of the fact that God will redeem his people one day and return them to their land. I'm the prophet Jeremiah and God has instructed me to buy this property. And I want you to know that if I didn't believe what God was telling me, I would never buy a piece of property that's going to be occupied by the Chaldeans. But I know my God, and he's been faithful to me through all these years. He has told me now to buy this piece of property, 
I'm going to buy the property because God wants me to know that one day I'm going to cash in big time. Because that property is going to be returned back into the hands of the Jewish people again. I wonder what that land would be worth today. So I want to give you just a couple thoughts to live by. We only have a few minutes. Let me give them to you. Number one, God always has a plan. God always has a plan. From the creation and even into the future, God has a plan. We need only consider the book of Revelation and we realize that God has orchestrated a very marvelous plan for the ages. He has a plan for the universe. He has a plan for the world itself. He has a plan for you. You are not born just to simply exist. You were born with a purpose. That purpose for you and, and, and fulfilling that purpose, I should say, for your life, really, really kicks off more than ever the moment you bow down at the foot of the cross and acknowledge your sin and your guilt before a holy God who's righteous, who died for you in your stead and took your place. When you acknowledge that sin and that guilt and you accept his payment for that sin, he washes you clean and he places you in his family. He indwells you with the Holy Ghost and he gives you a reservation in heaven. And he says, now we can really get started on fulfilling that purpose the way I intended it to be fulfilled because now you have the presence of my spirit in your life to empower you and enable you to accomplish everything I created you to do. He has a purpose for your life, a purpose for the world and a purpose for the universe. In Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. God already knows what he wants to do with you and how he wants to bless you. In Ephesians 2, 10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Long before you were ever born, God already knew how you should walk the direction you should go, the path you should take, and what you need to do in order to fulfill His purpose for your life. And that purpose includes tremendous blessing. First thought to live by. God always has a plan. Don't forget that. It doesn't matter how bleak the circumstances seem. It doesn't matter whether an enemy force is going to occupy your nation. It doesn't matter whether you're in prison somewhere because of your righteousness and your obedience to God. It doesn't matter. God always has a plan. Number two, God can always be trusted. In Psalm chapter 18, turn there, would you please? Psalm chapter 18, verse 30. God can always be trusted. One of the reasons we can trust God is because he always has a plan. He always has a plan. You say, but I've messed it all up. I'm sure this isn't what God wanted for me in my life. I know that I've made decisions that have cost me and my family and others. That's all right. You stop where you are and realize. Realize he always has a plan. And even when the devil tries to wreck his plan, and even when we go the wrong direction and try to ruin it, 
What the devil means for evil, God will use for good. He has a plan. He always has a plan, and you can always trust him. See, God can always be trusted. Psalm 1830. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He's a buckler to all those that trust in him. First of all, his way is perfect. I mean, think about that. You could interview people that have known me through my lifetime. I don't think they'd say, oh, his way is perfect. He has always done it right. He's never made a mistake. Any advice he's ever given works out to a T. It's always spot on. His way is perfect. That, you can say that about me. But you can say that about God. His way is perfect. You know what it means? It means that if you'll go his way, things will turn out just right. They're going to turn out just right. Well, I don't want to obey my teachers at school. They're jerks. They're stupid. They just want me to do what they want me to do so that they can feel like they're tough, they're big, they're the one in charge. The Bible says that you ought to obey those that are put over you in authority. Young people, when you obey his way that's perfect, you end up in the right place. When you don't, you end up in a bad place. Adults, it's no different. I won't listen to that boss. He doesn't know what he's talking about. She don't know what she's talking about. Well, you just do what you're told then until you can explain to them why there's a better way and they say, okay, let's do it that way. Until then, do what you're told or go get another job. But I'm telling you, his way is perfect. And that means obeying those that are in charge of you and over you and in authority authority over you. We have all the answers, but we keep ending up in the wrong places. We come up with all kinds of paths to travel, but we end up in the wrong destination. His way is perfect. His way. He can always be trusted. It says, says, for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. It's been tried, proven, and tested to be right. It works every time. It may not lead you where you want to go. You may have an idea of what you want out of life, but let me tell you, you can never improve on God's purpose and plan for your life. He can always be trusted to put you in the best place to thrive and succeed, even if it's a prison like Joseph ended up in. If he'd have never been in the prison, he'd have never become the prince. Psalm 100, oh, it goes on. He's a buckler to all those that trust in him. You know what that buckler was? That buckler was a shield. And that shield was worn on the left arm. That shield was about four feet long. It was made out of wood most of the time, and then they would cover it with some kind of metal usually. And when those arrows and those spears would come, they'd block them and protect themselves with that buckler. The Bible says, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. You never go wrong trusting in God. It's always the safest place to be. He says in Psalm 118, 8 and 9, he says, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. There's 185,000 Assyrians that were camped outside of Jerusalem, cutting off every supply possible. Starvation was 
a slow death for the people of God in Hezekiah's day. Everybody, people of all ages, genders, were dying in the city. Children and adults alike. Women and children, uh, women and men alike because of starvation. This 185,000 man army had cut off all, all supplies. Nothing was getting into the city. It was a slow death. And there the king of Assyria sent his men to mock and make fun of the people and the God of Israel and said, don't listen to that stupid king of yours. He's going to tell you that your God will deliver you out of my hand. But there's not been any nation that's been delivered out of my hand. Don't you believe him? Don't you believe King Hezekiah? They said, neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord. Saying, the Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be delivered under the hand of the king of Assyria. You are dying in the streets, people. You have nothing to eat. It won't be long now unless you just surrender to us. You will all perish. But in a miraculous way, God destroyed the army and delivered the city in one night. Not one Israelite went and fought the battle. Not one of them. God fought the battle for them. And 185,000 Assyrians died. Do you know that Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever? You want me to do what, God? You want me to buy a, a piece of property? The Chaldeans are <laughs> They're outside the city. I'm in prison. I mean, it's looking really bad, God. Why would I give up my last dime? Why would I spend any money on a piece of property that's going to fall into the hands of the Chaldeans? What's going on? Is there anything too hard for me, Jeremiah? I'm going to allow them to occupy the land. But I'm telling you, I'm going to go back down the road and regather all of Israel again. They're going to be my people and I will be their God. And I want you to be a living sign and proof that God, me, I'm going to do something miraculous. That it's not over when they occupy this city. It won't be over when they finally take charge. No, because I'm not done with Israel yet. You go buy that property, Jeremiah, and you prove to everybody that you believe Jehovah God and that what he says is true. That you can always trust me. And finally, thoughts to live by. Not only God always has a plan. Not only God can always be trusted. But finally, no matter how bleak the situation may seem, obedience is always the best way. Turn to James chapter 1, verse 22, as we close. Start closing this down. James 1, 22. 
No matter how bleak the situation may seem, and it was bleak, obedience is always the best way. But be ye doers of the word, James 1.22. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, talking about the word of God, God's word, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. Watch it now. This man shall be blessed in his deed. You want the blessings of God in your life? I want the blessings of God in my life. You want the blessings of God in your life? Then don't be simply a hearer. Be a doer of the word. Obey God's word. It's always the best way. It always provides and brings forth blessing. Oh, the situation was bleak indeed. A certain takeover was, it was in the cards, if you will. But still, Jeremiah had to make a choice. He had to choose. Would he obey God and purchase the land that for 70 years would be occupied and ruled by the Chaldeans? Would he obey God or not? And in the end of seven years, who's going to remember anyway? Well, we're talking about it today. Will you obey God or not? It's really that simple, isn't it? It, it is. Will I obey God or not? Will I do what He says? Will I adhere to His Word? Will I give Him the right to tell me what to do? You know, God is a gentleman. He will not force you to obey Him. But when we fail to obey Him, we're the one that loses. Our families lose. God asked Jeremiah a question. He said, Behold, I'm the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? <laughs> hey, you know what? How big you view God determines how you see the obstacles in your life. Listen to that. How big you view God determines how you see the obstacles in your life. Big God, little problems. Small God, big problems. But can I say God is bigger than your circumstances? He's bigger than your circumstances. Will you obey or not? Joshua 24, 15, And as if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. <laughs> the devil's fighting us today, isn't he? There's some decisions that ought to be made in this crowd today, and I'm telling you, that's not by accident. That's a distraction to get you from thinking about what we just talked about. And that's a reality. 
Hey, that's why we spend a lot of money on nurseries. That's why we spend a lot of money on Sunday school classes and junior churches, because the devil will come in and try to distract us. Please, don't let that distract you. Understand where it's coming from, really. That's not just a baby crying. That's the devil trying to distract you from this message because there are decisions that you and I need to make this morning in obedience. There are things that we are not obeying the Lord in that he has put his finger on in your life and said, you're not doing that yet, and I told you to do it. Don't let the devil distract you. Make the right decision. Here's what Joshua said as we close it out. He says, choose you this day whom you will serve. I'll make that choice later. I need time to make that decision. No, you don't. You need to make the choice, and you need to do it today. If you don't make the choice, that is a choice. A choice not to obey God is a choice to disobey God. Enough with the excuses, right? Simply obey God. Choose you this day. Again, I wonder what that land is worth in Jerusalem. I do, I wonder. Can you imagine Jeremiah shows up in the millennium and he says, oh, by the way, I bought a piece of property. I guarantee you the value is a lot higher now than it was when I purchased it because when I purchased it, the Chaldeans were over here and they were taking over. Man, my, my, my relative was just glad to get rid of it for anything. He just wanted another meal before he died. I just gave him virtually what he asked for, and it was nothing. Can I tell you, he's not regretting obeying God. And you know what? You'll never regret obeying God. When the odds are stacked against you, just obey God. His way is perfect. And live by these simple truths. God always has a plan. God can always be trusted, and no matter how bleak the situation may seem, obedience is always the best way. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time together. And Lord, again, we understand that this is a spiritual warfare we're in. We know that, at least in our minds. We understand that intellectually. But Father, help us to recognize that literally, the devil and his demons are trying to distract us and, and trying to redirect our attention, trying to keep us from allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us in that still small voice or to use the Word of God to drive home a truth. God, help us this morning. There may be somebody in our midst today who has yet to receive and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they don't even know if they died, they'd go to heaven. Lord, may you give them the courage to step out of the aisle and come forward and let someone take a Bible and show them your precious promises and your perfect way. And then, Lord, for us as believers, what's that sin that you've put your finger on today? What, what, is, it dis, is, it, is it unforgiveness? Is it just simply rebellion in our life toward a parent or toward a, a leader of sorts? Is there bitterness? Is there some kind of, 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 of attitude or something that is unscriptural in our life? Is our perspective wrong? Are we looking the wrong places to have our needs met? Lord, what is it that you want us to repent of and confess as sin and forsake? Your way is perfect. Lord, help us to just simply obey you no matter how difficult it may be to obey, but realizing that your way is perfect, that you have a plan and a purpose, and that, Lord, you 
you will always, always can be trusted. Father, we need you. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.